Coming up, we're going to talk all about acquisitions. You're going to discover what acquirers look for in gaming acquisitions, how to prepare your company for the buyer, and what factors cause a deal to get derailed. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Pollen VC gives app developers early access to their app store and advertising revenues, enabling them to scale quickly and efficiently without relying on outside funding, and more importantly, giving up their equity. Learn more at pollen.vc. AppRadar will save you time with their unified and connected ASO workflow and save you money with their Apple Search Ads team who will optimize your campaigns and increase your ROAS. Go to appradar.com to learn more. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content in the app business. And today, I got a phenomenal guest with a phenomenal name. And we're going to talk about what do acquirers look for in gaming acquisitions and what can derail an acquisition. So the guest today is Steve Wade. He is the managing director at Atlas Technology Group. You can learn more about them by going to atlastechgroup.com. They're going to help companies, software companies get acquired. They're going to give you consulting and I'll let Steve explain a little bit more as well. But Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit about Atlas because I probably did a horrible job explaining it. Sure. Uh, Atlas is a M&A boutique bank in San Francisco Bay Area. It's been around for 10 years. We focus on transaction sizes of $20 million to greater than a billion. We've done, I think, six transactions now over a billion dollars uh, in software M&A. And I handle gaming transactions. Uh, and beyond gaming, just fun things. So we've had a few bars and restaurant chains, a few movie theaters. Uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to get a whiskey distillery. But, um, you know, games and entertainment is, is my uh, cup of tea. Okay. And you, are you providing, are you finding the buyers too, or are you just sort of helping as the acquisitions coming, you're just helping along, making sure that the deal moves through and actually goes to an acquisition? Yeah, sure. So we offer, I guess, a wide range of services that any bank would offer uh, from helping with the mergers and acquisitions, you know, being the sell side advisory and, and growing their business, helping them scale, figuring out who the buyers are going to be, and actually managing their relationships in the process with the buyers uh, if there's a process to run. Occasionally, we will help clients, uh, especially in gaming, with some outsourced corporate development or business development. And that could be anything from finding capital, uh, co-development for a publish it, uh, licensing, uh, managing those processes. Oh, I love it. Okay, Steve. So, I know this is why the listeners are probably listening to this this particular episode, but when what are acquirers looking for in gaming acquisitions? What's important to them? Well, uh, I think it's different per acquire uh, and then per game studio uh, founder or investors, what they're looking to, to sell. There is acquirers right now. We have a great one. Um, just had a conversation yesterday, you know, $3 billion market cap, and they're very interested in looking for companies and teams in the 
you know, say one to 20 person teams that can really go in and build anything. And they're not looking for content or anyone who's developed any certain IP. They just want teams. Uh, we have other acquirers who buy, I won't say older titles, but titles in their swan song. And they're just looking to buy as many as they possibly can. It adds to their stock price. Uh, the game's really don't get a second life uh, through the acquisition, but they get a longer life. Uh, and then we have people who are, you know, aggressively looking for new studios, uh, studios who got to go out and really be creative because they're not part of a large organization. And I think there's uh, comparables. I've heard a couple people compare it to like the pharmacy industry where, you know, people raise a bit of money and they go out and try new things and then they get acquired by a, a larger business and that just can't move as quick as or as fast or be aggressive with some kind of new IP. Uh, so there's a, there's a wide, wide range of what acquirers are looking out there. And right now everyone's very hungry. That's good news then. Yeah, I think it's good for everyone. <laughs> are acquirers looking at certain of games or are they just saying like, yeah, what are they looking for a different category of games? Uh, I think that, you know, it goes back down to the choir again. Um, you know, we're talking to a few different people. There was actually a very large uh, social network that came to us this week, and they're looking for specific, uh, specifically casual games, casual games targeted towards a female demographic. Uh, they're also looking for unique social casino games. Um, then we have other people who are now really pushing competitive games, competitive uh, esports games on mobile. And then uh, something that I've noticed this year, and I think other people may have mentioned it as well, is this battle pass system that is now jumping up in games. And you know, back in my day when we were doing MMOs, it was called subscriptions. But you know, if, if you guys want to call it battle <laughs> pass, that's, that's fine. Uh, and so I think subscriptions have dropped some or jumped from you know two or three percent of games had them to almost thirty percent of games have them now, and uh, you know that's great uh, for acquirers looking at you know steady streams of, of revenue in these mobile games who are before you know especially with free play games it was up and down quite a bit sometimes. Well, the episode right before you, I talked to the folks from Game Refinery, and they were talking about this hot new trend called Battle Pass. So for the listeners who want to learn a little bit more about in detail what Battle Pass is all about, but that is a great episode. We talk in detail about Battle Pass. I'm like, this seems, I'm like you, Steve. I'm like, this seems very familiar to, and you guys just renamed it to something else because it's pretty popular. I've seen this everywhere before. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah, it's, uh, it stays the same, but it uh, gets better. <laughs> that's the, that's what we got to do, you know, kind of just rename something and just talk about it a lot and just call it something else and it becomes a hot new trend. Mm. For the 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 gaming companies right now that are listening, they're like, hey, you know, I'm kind of burnt out or I'm looking to get acquired. Or should they be focused just on the user base or is like, is monetization important? Like what are the metrics that they should be focused on if they want to potentially sell to another company? I think that's, um, that's an interesting question because uh, there's a couple different parts to it. Uh, it really depends on the company's size, right? There's this mid-sized group of, of mobile games and even PC game companies that is dwindling. You know, they've already been acquired and uh, for, for the most part, a lot of them have been acquired. So you have smaller guys who are kind of plateauing. Say some of them are plateauing at 10 or $20 million and they really can't grow. And the approach so far this year, we've seen a lot of these companies is, you know, they can't grow through 
uh, organic growth of their current content. Um, scaling through, say, UA financing or something is not best for an older game. And so now they're trying to acquire a bunch of smaller studios. So we're looking at this path right now for these mid-sized, uh, either PC or mobile games uh, of consolidation. And I, th I think that's fairly... We'll see quite a bit more of that this year. Um, for the you know the mid-sized player, if it's a larger player, I don't think you know anyone you know over 100 million. I, I don't think there's any issues for any founders that's looking to sell right now. I, there's probably what do they say in real estate? It's a seller's market, right. and I, I think that's how it is right now in, in, in gaming. Wow, that's interesting because you know I sold a portfolio of mine. And it was for a small amount, but essentially what they were looking for is a user base. So we had a half a million downloads and it was still getting decent organics at the time, but there was no monetization. And he was like, I want to use this to cross promote one of our big upcoming titles. And that's all they wanted for it. And it's still out there. And I was like, well, oh, this is my first app that I ever created. It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, it is crazy. You, you never know uh what meeting you're going to have and what other companies are working on or looking for. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, we have uh, different buyers popping up uh, for different users. You know, we have some people have uh, social networks and they already have tons of users. And now they're like, you know, we want games to get on our platform, you know, whether it's, you know, hyper casual games or, uh, you know, mid core, some, some people want to do esports. but uh, just having content is great. And especially if you have content that's already doing, you know, a hundred million dollars a year or even $2 million a year uh, that's growing to get them to someone else's users. Uh, and that's, one route we have the kind of device thing where we have these games great little games uh monetizing incredibly well but they can't get the rocket fuel needed to you know really scale mm -hmm. and there's some interesting ways around uh getting these games to scale i, I think there's a quite a lot of uh these ua financing companies popping up so if your game is monetizing quite well and uh, retaining users quite well there's options for you to to grow and scale the business now without any equity loss, which is brilliant. Um, you know, when I was starting my own companies, uh, that was always an issue. I didn't want to lose equity because I was a, you know, a new founder. I was like, a, you know, I'm afraid of you know losing the control of my destiny. And so, for mobile game in particular, and I'm, I'm hoping that it comes to PC and console, is uh, these you know UI financing op options. Yeah, I know your game space entertainment. Did you end up selling that one? Uh, game space was. Ours, um, it wasn't a failure because we sold it to MMORPG.com who kind of ran with it. Nice. But I, I thought it was interesting because it was the same company that I had created almost 10 years prior where we were just going to uh, you know, Asia and, and finding you know, uh, web games in China or mobile games in Korea and bring them to the US. So it was a, it was a very hmm. boring model because uh, we, we weren't making new content. That's really what I love to do, but uh, it was profitable. It was, at the time, it was still low cost uh, for users uh, on mobile, low cost for, uh, incredibly low cost actually on web. And I still think there's quite a few web game companies out there, uh, like Flowplay in Seattle. They still do a lot of web games um, and the, the cost of users is just drastically less than on the mobile game. And that is actually another trend we've seen. A lot of mobile game publishers who are now just developing on HTML5 uh, moving forward. And that seems to be the right path forward for a lot of these guys. 
The other thing I want to make sure the listener caught when Steve was talking about, you know, like how do you get financing to fund the UA and without like diluting equity would be Paul and VC. And we're doing this for Paul and VC, but essentially being able to get your funds, if you're monetizing really well, get those funds earlier so that you can reinvest or invest in some UA. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's a you know obviously a great name job for Paul and VC, but they do provide an uh, amazing service. And back to your earlier question, if people are you know looking to eventually exit their businesses, uh, who doesn't want to buy a larger business? And one way to scale, um, especially if, you know for smaller studios looking to ramp up, is is this is this method. Hey, Steve, from what I'm gathering, you, you have people interested in buying businesses. So are you from Atlas Group? Are you just looking for like amazing companies to come to you? Like what would be a win for Atlas Group? What types of companies? Is it the buyers? Is it the sellers? So I think, you know, for Atlas, um, we can do buy side. We can do sell side. Uh, it's whatever adds value to, to everyone. Um, a win for us normally, you know, a typical client is, you know, we're looking for companies doing at least $10 million in revenue. We ideally like to be working with companies greater than $50 million in value. And that's kind of where we've, we've, we've ended up a lot of the, the companies I worked with in the last four years in banking are all in that say 75 to $250 million valuation range. But that being said, when I think about, my role in the game industry, uh, I think of myself as a connector. Uh, we see young companies all the time, independent game studios, companies doing you know, maybe one million in revenue. Uh, I spoke to a, a young woman yesterday who started her first studio and her first game, I think, sold 2,000 units. And that was great. I, I really loved talking about that. And you know, I made some introductions to some publishers uh, that I think actually are going to pick up her next game. So I, I love talking to game companies of all shapes and sizes and all forms. Uh, so I, I think that's a win, just you know, meeting as many po- people as possible in this industry. How do you balance the two, like over meeting people and people who want your time to making sure that you have enough energy for yourself to continue with your own things that you're, you're working on? Yeah, sure. Uh, caffeine helps. Uh, and then having a great staff uh, below me of analyst uh, uh, schedulers, making sure that we have so many meetings a week with investors and with new game studios we like to go to as many conferences. I'm at Dice right now in Las Vegas, and we're probably going to go to PAX East uh, next week or the week after. <laughs> and uh, then we have GDC right around the corner, which is always the big one for us because it's local. And we'll throw some parties and uh, you know a couple dinners and go out and have a bunch of tea. And uh, it's it's great. I, you know, you always stay busy chatting, um, but it, it's good. To, it's good to focus every once in a while. Um, and you know, the focus comes on Sundays. I love it. That's why I love doing this podcast because, you know, like a part of it is staying in tune with the industry and part of it is socializing that aspect of it. Yeah. An entrepreneur, sometimes it feels a little bit lonely, but this allows me to just not just talk to my team and not to my family, but other people in the industry and gives me that like rush of energy that I actually get after every episode. I'm like, that's really amazing. I'm always talking about the episodes that I'm doing. That's that's absolutely brilliant. That's exactly why I love doing this investment banking bit versus starting another company. Uh, you know, when I was heads down before, you know, you're you're heads down focusing on your own product, your own users. You don't really get to see you know what people are doing in VR, what are people doing on mobile, what's going on with the switch. 
Uh, versus, you know, in this place, I get to talk to 15 companies a week and see all kind of cool little new things that are popping up or, you know, even seeing small things that are still surprise me. I had a couple of conversations uh, actually just this week at Dice with uh, three companies, all three companies were founder owned uh, between 16 and 20 years old. They've been in the gaming space, never taken any outside funding, and they've just been growing and growing. And it's, uh, it's wonderful to see that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really, that's, I mean, that's a long time. Like, that's what I'm shocked for. I'm like, wow, 16, 20 years. They're still going. That's awesome. Yeah. The, yeah. the next thing, oh, go ahead, Steve. You want to add anything else? No, no, I'm happy to move on to the next question. I guess this is sort of in line with like how companies can better prepare for an acquisition. So, along those lines, how can companies pre- better prepare for an acquisition? And have you seen like, what have they done? Like, stay away from these things because deals get derailed because of X, Y, and Z. Sure. So I think, you know, one of the benefits of working with a MA advisor or uh, even a consultant for a lot of the smaller deals that, you know, really shouldn't be paying banking fees is just having someone to, you know, help manage the process and strategy. Uh, there's a lot of structuring around different transactions you need to plan for, uh, Sometimes cap tables are very dirty. Uh, sometimes old investors want to get out, and you know new investors don't. Uh, you know, there's things going to come up when you're negotiating the actual transaction that it's beneficial to have a lot of other people that you can rely on uh, to chat with. You know, it's uh, it is a process. It's going to take your time. We we tend to tell people that during a process, expect six to seven months. Uh, now on gaming, you know, the six to seven month thing is, is what I've been told um, when I first joined banking, you know, five years ago or four and a half years ago, uh, that six and seven months is what it is. But in gaming, it's been so hot. Whenever we've actually taken a deal to market, uh, we've not received an offer within uh, less than 45 days. Wow. Uh, so things tend to move a lot faster uh, in gaming, or at least the companies we work with. And uh, so in the last four and a half years, I worked on 14 transactions. We've only had one transaction not close, and that was actually I, I still kick myself to this day. I think the founder does too, because uh, it, it was a mobile company doing five million in revenue, and we had them a huge offer for you know forty five million or something, and wow. they were like, "Yeah, we're going to pass." And then you know the market changed, and uh, it was unfortunate for them, but I, you know it's, uh, it was learning for me as well. That's amazing. Okay, and you said your sweet spot's like making anywhere from two to ten million. A year? Uh, so we speak to a lot of companies below 10 million, but we tend not to work with companies uh, doing less than 10 million in revenue okay. just because we like to do larger deals. Uh, we do have a lot of friends, a lot of investors that we'll recommend people to. Uh, that being said, we do have a couple of companies. One we did, um, uh, actually, I can't mention the name, but it was a company <laughs> that you know was doing, say, 2 million in revenue, uh, uh, but we saw them shooting up quite quickly. We sold them in, a, I think, three months, and now they're doing uh, 30x revenue a year later. Wow. Active so it's, it's really interesting, you know, when you're, you have a great content, you have a great, the right partner to say, you know, here's our credit card. We know you have a great game. Go explode. And, and they did. And so we, we love seeing things like that. That's amazing. Yeah, I asked. Versus, because, you know, we have, we've had some other deals where it didn't work out that way. I only asked because I thought I heard 10 million and then you said 5 million. So I was like, okay, I just want to make sure the audience understands. Okay. The sweet spot's the 10 million mark, but that's amazing. 
That's amazing. Hey, the other thing I want to move on to is what are the, what are you seeing in terms of trends for 2020? And I'll just keep it general like that. And then maybe we could dig deeper as you start answering. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we talked about one trend, uh, which was the battle passes. That is something that, you know, I, I love subscriptions that makes it a lot easier for investors to get comfortable with the game. That makes it a lot uh, more interesting for acquirers to get behind a game. Um, and also for, you know, uh, any kind of debt or UA funding, if you, if you have some kind of monthly recurring revenue stream, it makes life a lot easier. So I, battle passes are doing great now. I think they'll continue to to, to great. Um, the other bit, which uh, you can like or not, uh, is the... How do I want you? So my background in esports, I quite love competitive games. Yeah. Uh, I think competitive games are, you know, going to keep on growing. Uh, but I just had saw where Amazon was removing some of their PvP from their new MMO, and that was a little disheartening. Where I think you know people uh, and, and games as a trend, or you know, sorry, games as a service has to make everyone happy and not just the competitive or the esports users. And I think that's a hard balance. A lot of times I think, uh, overall esports is because it's such a marketing driver is winning. Um, but I think it makes it really hard for the developers to make competitive games enjoyable for everyone. Yeah. Esports is fascinating. Like what are your thoughts on this? Cause I have no idea what is happening with esports, but I feel like I should. You know, I grew up watching The Wizard. I don't know if you remember if you remember that movie, but I was like, oh. I don't know what that show is. Well, it, it was a movie, and I think it was like Super Mario, and they were competing, and it was like a million dollar prize. But Ben Savage, I think, was the actor. But I'm like, what is going on with esports? Because I'm like, should I not tell my son? Should I let my son continue to play four hours of Fortnite? You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> um. I'm going to lean on the side of four hours is probably an okay amount. But, uh, oh, really? <laughs> I, he loves I, you, Steve. You no, know, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I started my first company when I was 15 and I was playing uh, Ultima Online probably too much. I'll say maybe 10 hours a day at one point. Uh, you know, I was taking off high school and staying home, just playing a game. Eventually I had five PCs in my parents' basement where I had set up a bot program and this was dial-up. So I'd have five uh, AT&T dial-up lines into my dad's uh, basement. And, uh, you know, it was very interesting times. Uh, I think if, if there's a passion and kids do have passion, whether it's an actual sport, actual sport, but a real sport outside, you know, f- football or soccer or baseball, uh, you know, parents tend to get behind that. And I think they should get behind it the same way as these sports. Um, look at it as an activity. It's, it's, it's social. Uh, it's helping uh, with social skills. It's helping with, uh, for me, it helped with my uh, economy skills. I, I learned how to buy and sell low in some of these MOs. And that, you know, I think that's why I'm a banker today. So I, I think, you know, definitely don't look uh, at video games as something negative, and obviously you don't, but I, I think parents as a well whole should, you know, play more games with their children. And, you know, uh, I, I guess I'll leave it at there because I'm not, I'm not a parent. I probably shouldn't be saying too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very interesting because I, I've i seen both realms. Right? Like I've, I've had family members, cousins and brothers who 
who really took to a lot of video gaming when they were younger and they played all night and, you know, would skip college classes and it sort of hurt them. And then to hear the other side where you're like, hey, this taught me, you've you've been very successful with your career, but you did the same thing as they did and you turned out to be a very successful person. So like, I'm kind of like conflicted in from a parent perspective, like, Okay, as long as he shows passion and as long as he does this, like, what should I be looking for? Like, what made you, let's, let's phrase it this way, Steve. Like, when you were playing all that, like, how, as a parent, could you, could, like, what, I guess, signals were you giving to your parents that said, all right, I'm going to let Steve have these five computers in the basement? Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be very different for everyone, right? So everything is great in moderation. Uh, my case was, I think, very different because I'm from West Virginia and a place where you can be a, a carpenter, a coal miner, a criminal. Like that's your three career choices. And I was at the time making more money than my parents combined, uh, you know, with my little company in, in their in their basement. And so I, I think the, the money definitely saw they they saw like oh well he knows computers computers are the future uh you know it's a little different now where you know i think my four-year-old nephew has had a tablet in his face since he was one and you know he could unlock my phone when he was two i thought that was amazing it's obviously you want to support technology as as much as possible support the playing games uh, but there's you know also the bill gates model where you know they're they're limited to how many hours a day they can play and that's that's probably good yeah okay the, let's let's end with this. How should companies look for acquirers? Is it through going to Atlas? Is it looking for brokers, direct deals? What kind of tips do you have for companies to say, okay, I want to be acquired. What do I do next, Steve? Yeah. Um, well, I'm happy to speak to anyone, so feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or, or via email. Um, but the next bit is you know, uh, having an idea, and that's either talking with your co-founders, talking with your investors, talking with a, with an advisor of why you want to exit. Um, sometimes it's, you know, purely financial. Sometimes it's, you know, some people have been working on a deal or a company for, you know, 10 years and they want to do something next, right? You're like, they don't want to be working in the same FPS game for a while. They want to do hyper casual games. And uh, there's always pass forward. There's always different structures for it. Uh, every company is unique, uh, but it starts with, you know, having conversations. Don't, you know, stay in, in your office, heads down, definitely get out there and, and be having these conversations. Is it just talking, when you say conversations, going to events, like should you be open about like wanting to get acquired or should you be a little bit more private about it? I think I'm very big with transparency. Uh, I think it's okay to talk to your peers, uh, speak to definitely people who have already sold their businesses um, or you know people currently even going through processes. Uh, everyone's got you know, kind of a unique and uh, their own perspective of what a sales process uh, works in the game industry. Like I said, it's it's very quick. I think compared to other software sales uh, businesses, we have a very active network of, of people wanting to buy companies. And I think going back to being a seller's market, there is so few great game companies that want to to sell. Um, so I, I think when companies do decide to you know to go out there, take that step, put themselves on you know uh, on the market, let let it be known, uh, it's almost a feeding frenzy, and it's, it could be overwhelming sometimes, but uh, overwhelming in a good way. It's it's nice to feel wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do any 
other than non-games too through Atlas? I know you specifically focus on the game side, but through Atlas, you guys focus on just, you know, like, I don't know, fitness apps or other genres of apps? Yeah, sure. So Atlas is uh, about 40 people. We have people that specialize in all different types of things. Um, we have, you know, child educational uh, companies. We have crowdfunding platforms. We have advertising companies. Uh, there's a healthcare manager. So we, we look at really everything, um, mostly SaaS businesses. We, we like SaaS businesses. We don't touch hardware uh, really anymore. We have a few people kind of working at IoT, but for the most part, it's, you know, we're, we're a Bay firm, so we work with a lot of software companies. Yeah. Hey, one thing I'm fascinated about, I love your thoughts on this. My last question, Steve. The, like, SaaS companies were, I think they, they call it service as a service, you know, where it's, I don't know if you know of like design pickles of the world. I use a service called Video Husky where they're providing, they're not providing a piece of software, but they're providing talent, usually overseas, but you pay a subscription fee for it. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think that's a great model. I started uh, a lot of Actually, the company that you mentioned uh, earlier that when I sold was GameSpace, we built a lot of that with freelancers and networks where we didn't pay a monthly subscription, but we did use a paid service for freelancers. And we ended up working with a, a company in Indonesia that did amazing work. And I think that's a great way, especially with the high cost of uh, development in the Bay Area, it's, it's always great to, to work with uh, people who outsource and it's a great way to manage that. That's fantastic. Yeah, and they've been great. Like the, the video editor that I've been using, Video Husky, they've been amazing. Like, I'm like, wow. And to have a, like a full-time video editor would be a fortune, but for 500 bucks, I can get a pretty decent you know, video editor that I just send them content and they're able to really, I'm like shocked by how good the quality is. I'm not very picky, but I've been pretty happy with them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think it's a, it's a, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying, it's a, I was going to say, it's, it's, it's definitely a trend of, of people who are becoming you know, digital nomads. So it's not just, uh, you know, someone in, in Philippines or in Asia. You have people who have just relocated outside of the Bay Area. Uh, I actually know a lot of bankers, a lot of developers, a lot of engineers who are doing high quality work and they're living in a farm in you know New Hampshire. And it's it's great. It's great for everyone, I think. Yeah, so true. So true. Steve, anything I missed that you want to make sure we cover? So I think um, there's a, another trend that we saw. And I, I think it, it, it makes sense speaking about and this trend that everyone seems to think they're a platform. and uh, not everyone can be a platform, especially in mobile. Uh, I, I think that the two newest platforms that I would consider they they add something new, and it's not it's either you know discovery, it's or, or a new way to monetize. And the two that I, I, I quite like is Skills. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those guys mm-hmm. or uh, two. Yeah, yeah. So the, those guys are fantastic. Uh, what they do and how they offer this new way to monetize and competitive games. It's it's a different way to look at esports. It's not you know your traditional five on five, but it's uh, it's competitive, and I like that. I think that's that's something unique that is a, is considered a platform. I consider it a platform for for mobile gaming. There's another one called uh, Two Squared, and um, they're fairly interesting as well. What they do is they offer a way to monetize the game, and uh, they've only got I think one game of the platform right now because they've just come out of uh, launch, and 
I played the game, this little dice game, for about a month or a week, and I bought a bottle of shampoo from my time on Amazon, and they're they're linked into Amazon, and it's a really unique way to wow. engage users, monetize users, something that I haven't seen before, and I think uh, you know Square Two has they've actually developed the platforms. We, we we like the things like that um, as far as platform goes. The rest, you know, there, there's things where kind of distributors discovery is still a huge issue. I think on mobile, um, you know, is what drives up UA cost, uh, and there's a lot of you know, I, I think consolidation of the market, but those two, I, I think, are, are platforms. We would love to see more more things like that pop up. That's interesting. Kind of so, is it called Two Squared? What was, what was the last one? Oh, sorry, uh, Guild and Square Two. I think I may have said Two Square first, but it, it's, it's Square Two. Square and the number two, or just yeah, both Bay Area companies. So we see them quite a bit. Uh, Square and then the number two, yeah, or you can spell it to T Y O. I think that's how you find it on Google. Okay, I'm gonna square two. I don't know if it's marketing, but I love an intro. I'd love to talk to them and maybe even have them on the. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great team. Happy. Uh, yeah, yeah, their CEO is much more articulate than me, so I think he'd be a great one to have on. <laughs> well, I love it. But, uh, I'll get the info from you and I'll link that into the show notes. See, this is great. I'm glad you kind of. I kind of asked that question. I always feel guilty if I should ask that question or not, but it it leads to like this. So, anything else you want to make sure we cover? No, I think I'll do it. Thanks for Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to ask you for a favorite app of yours. But before I do, I do want to thank Paul and VC for sponsoring the podcast, for connecting me with Steve and having him on the, the, the podcast as well. We're going to turn this into a blog post on the Paul and blog. So go check it out. But well, like Steve said, if you're looking for, if you got a game, growth is getting hard, maybe the organic but the monetization is just crushing it. Well, Paul and VC will give you early access to your ad network revenues, to your app store revenues, so that you can invest in a paid model that works for you. And I think that's what, you correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but that's what acquires are looking for. Do you have a model that works? Because they want to see a paid acquisition model that works for your game, not necessarily just relying on organics, because as we know, as it's happening right now, organics change and the app source change their algorithms and your organics can take a hit. So if you're interested in learning more, go check out pollen.vc. That once again is pollen.vc. Steve, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app we should definitely check out. Sure. So the, I guess the app I'm using most of my phone, uh, especially since moving to Vegas, is an app called All Trails, and it tells me you know, one of the best hiking trails near me. And it's been very useful. What's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? Something that took me the longest to learn? Uh, I think that was definitely, you know, getting outside of my, my comfort zone. I'm very much an introvert. Uh, I played online games for a reason because I didn't want to talk to people in public. And uh, that's kind of where I am now, where my job requires me to, to go out and talk to everyone. I love that. Thanks for doing this. I know you said this is a little bit out of your comfort zone. You did phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on. So, one, one, one link up Steve's in to the profile as well. So, go click on his name and it will take you straight to his LinkedIn profile. But if you want to learn more about the company, it is atlastechgroup.com. That's also linked up into the show notes as well in your favorite podcast app. Steve, do you want to send the listener anywhere else? Uh, I think, you know, we follow up on Square 2. I think if you're a mobile game company, definitely take a look at Square 2. I think that's a good way to, to, to follow up or end the conversation. 
well, I'm going to get that intro from you and then hopefully they'll be on, on the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a great one. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Nope. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening. And I'll see you on the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.